Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist Podcast, spiritual healing from trauma and abuse for empaths, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, spiritual mentor and author, and I'm empowering empaths in recovery and healing from narcissistic abuse and childhood trauma through human design, self-care, mindfulness advice, and expert interviews. Subscribe now. Hello, Gigi. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Raven. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about. Ah, it's so funny. I wrote our notes down and I looked down patriarchy, which is what we're going to be talking about. (laughs) Narcissistic father figures and or the opposite that also affects our Mm -hmm. relationship with our fathers. Can you tell us about how you got into this being a topic that's really passionate for you? Well, I think it started in my own situation. I grew up without my father and it was my mother's decision. So I was forbidden to see him. Okay. And I eventually met him when I was 17. And in our own journey, I started being interested in other people's stories And coming across other people and in different kinds of father scenarios, right? So over time, I realized, okay, wow, there are all these different kinds of dynamics that happen that shape people differently based on what that experience would be like. So even though I had an absent father, right, I found people who had apathetic fathers or people who had abusive fathers or people who had authoritarian fathers or people who had accusing fathers. And that those archetypes kind of helped me start helping others identify what was going on with them. And it has really become a ministry for me. I feel really passionate about it because I really believe it's messed up so many of us <laughs> in so pretty many much, different yeah, kinds of ways. I love that. You're like, pretty much you're just messed up because yeah. <laughs> what, what is the term? Daddy issues. She's yes, got daddy issues. Exactly. You, so many people <laughs> have daddy issues of one kind or another, right? And so, and, and then understanding how we carry those. I mean, I watched in myself, you know, for me in the absence of my father, I looked for father figures in romantic relationships, right? So here I am a teenager dating 30 year old guys, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't get more, you know, getting, getting them into trouble and then you're into trouble too. Yeah, exactly. You know, (laughs) doesn't get more expressive than that, but but, you know, at 16, 17, I don't understand that that's what's going on. You know what I'm saying? You're just like energetically uh, drawn to their maturity because you lack that. Yes, because I lack that. Right. And, Mm. and somebody to really affirm me and, Mm -hmm. and, and help me believe in myself and that I can be all I can be and all that kind of stuff that, you know, a strong dad would do and, and, or loving father would do. And so it was just over time when I met my dad, one of the things we discovered was that we write a lot alike. It was very uncanny. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to tell our own story. And so we wrote it together, just my story and his story. We kind of meld them into this sharing. And then I ended up sharing with a whole lot of people and found that it really moved people. You know, I had a friend who was a college professor and she had me read it 
to her students and I'm in this college classroom and all these kids are crying and I'm like, oh my God, what on earth is going on here? So yeah. I really, it's more, know, more than just research. me experiencing yeah, this pain. Exactly. You know, wow. so I started doing more research and really kind of digging into it. And then I talked to a college professor that I'd had. I was a journalism student and I would go see this guy. He had actually been kind of like a surrogate father to me in school. So we kept in touch after I graduated he read it and he said, you know, if you like got like some other people's stories in this, this could be a really powerful book. And I was like, huh. I mean, hadn't really thought about it from that angle at all. And lo and behold, 10 years later, <laughs> I actually did. I, I I interviewed people. I wrote the book. And What's immediately the book called? it's called Hungry for Wholeness, oh. A Call to Pursue Restoration and Healing in Your Father-Child Relationship. Mm. And immediately I got thrust into this space, I believe quite providentially because I didn't, you know, before it had all just been kind of, oh, this is interesting and I want to help people and I want people to be whole and stuff, but you know, who am I kind of thing. But the, I ended up getting an endorsement from the founder of the National Center for Fathering. And that created this whole thing. So he and I really connected. He loved my writing. He was like, you have a really important voice here. And I ended up being the an inaugural speaker keynote at the inaugural Fathership Convention in Portland the same year I wrote the book. And that really is when I went kind of full-fledged, <laughs> you yeah. know, into seeing this as a need. You know, I'm sitting in front of an audience of like 400, mostly women, and it was so impactful that I was like, okay, this is a real need. <laughs> this, yeah. this is a huge need. Oh, well, it was like the opportunity was presented to you and yes. the door opened yes. and that was your path. Yes. Yeah. yes. I'm so curious what happened when you met your father at 17 and why were you forbidden to see him? Yeah. Okay. Let me answer the <laughs> first part first. When I met him, it was great. You know, the initial meeting was a little awkward, but really mostly because I didn't know how my mother would react. I am, I carefully say this, you know, she's deceased and not here to defend herself. And, <laughs> you know, I want to be yes. fair, but yes. in hindsight, right. I think that my mother probably had a touch of narcissism just in looking at the way that she brought us up. And I have an older brother who's not my father's child. And my mother was extremely authoritarian, extremely, <laughs> and also very accusing, which was probably the more painful part of it all. And and when I even would ask earlier on about what happened, you know, in the marriage with my dad, it was very vague, nothing specific. I asked specifics like, did he hit you? No. Did he steal from you? No. Did he cheat on you? No. And so I'm kind of like trying to stand like, okay, help me. Yeah. You like, know, who is but, he? Like, why can't right. I talk to him? What happened, right? You know, kind yeah. of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But because she was so authoritarian, mm -hmm. I really didn't have room to ask questions. That was not really a dynamic <laughs> in our relationship. In fact, one of her favorite answers to anything was because I said so. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was just kind of how I lived, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So by a very strange happening, okay, I'll try to make this quick. So my mother's sister 
married my father's first cousin. Oh, okay. Okay. In fact, they were married first. That's how my mother met my dad at a funeral for the grandmother on that side. So I'm related doubly to this uncle. And one day I'm visiting my aunt and cousin. And I say to her just whimsically, I think I was like 14. And I said, you know, I always wanted a brother named Mickey and a brother named Ricky. Bizarre, right? Who says yeah. that? So random. But I, I don't know, just random, right? Yeah. But she like blanches. And she says, I mean, I could see her face go through these changes. And at first she was just freaked out. And then there was like this resolve, like, I don't care, whoever, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to tell her. Mm -hmm. I have a brother named Ricky and a sister named Mickey that I never knew anything about. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so in that moment. <laughs> and the, the brother, the Ricky and Mickey were through your father, through Correct. someone else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Correct. Through his first marriage. Wow. Yeah. And I know nothing about these people. Right. So that was just so crazy and random that but she was so like, okay. spirit led. Yes, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she was like, okay, forget it. And my mom had such a strong personality that pretty much everybody, she had several siblings, you know, there were seven of them, but they all kind of like, yep, not gonna get into it with her. So my uncle, who was very timid, my dad apparently had been trying to find me through my, my, my uncle was like, you yeah, know, I'm not getting in the middle of that. Sorry. Love you, but not happening. So my aunt decided that day, forget it. I don't care if she's going to be mad. I don't care. Mm -hmm. So we called my dad's dad. So for two and a half years, I had this clandestine phone relationship with my paternal grandfather. Oh. Anytime I would go visit her, we would call daddy Ed. Right. Oh, okay. So there's this this thing building, you know, yeah. and I'm I'm getting ready. I know at some point I got to ask the question and I'm bracing myself. So one day, uh, close like I'm a senior in high school and I'm thinking yeah, it's graduation invitation time. And so I risk it. I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? She can yell at me or maybe hit me. But, you know, we'll be OK. So we'll I, be out in public at least. Right. right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I said, I said. Is it okay if I invite my father to my graduation? Like really fast. And she said, I don't care if you can find him. Mm. So she I had was no like, idea. I already you already plan. found him. Exactly. <laughs> and I already had a plan. So I sent my father's invitation to my grandfather for forwarding. But what I did not know, it never came up in my conversation with my grandfather. My grandfather wasn't talking to my dad. <laughs> They had their own issues. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. So the invitation never got to him? No, he did. He sent oh. it anyway. Oh, okay. Thank good, God. He sent that's it good. anyway. So he sent it. And so the first time I ever talked to my dad was the night before my graduation. He got it the day before. He had actually just left town, like a town over from where I lived. He was in Miami speaking. And had no idea that we were in Fort Lauderdale <laughs> and got home and found the invitation the night before my graduation. Wow. So he called and that was our first introduction. And that was probably the most, I can't even, I don't even know the word 
that I am, I am a talkative person and that left me utterly void of words, like completely void, like in ways that I can't even explain void. When, when I heard his, you know, when he identified himself after a couple of questions <laughs> and oh, he wait, uh, he was like, he didn't say right away. He just wanted to No, know. he, he asked to speak to me or my mom. He said, can I please speak oh. to care Gigi? Oh. And I said, this is Gigi, but I, it wasn't a man's voice I recognized, right? Yeah. And then he said, this is Mr. Deadweiler, which is my dad's last name. Mm-hmm. And, but it was not my grandfather. I knew. So I, I'm now kind of getting nervous and I like, which Mr. Deadweiler? And then there's this pause. And then he's like, this is Bobby. This is your father. And I completely lost it. I wasn't, no sound. But yeah. tears are just pouring and then I can't talk. Yeah. So he's going, Gigi, Gigi, Gigi. And now I'm freaking because I can't talk. Nothing's coming out. Yeah. And now I think he's going to hang up. Right. So I freak out. I run down the hall, find my mom. The room, the apartment's packed. Like the whole family's there for my graduation. And and I find her. She's ignoring me. <laughs> you know, I'm like pulling her arm. And then she looks down and she sees I'm crying and she's like, what is it? You know, and I just kind of shoved the phone in her hand, you know, those portable. (laughs) Yeah, the big hand phones, right. That you used to have, right. So I just shove it, you know, and she goes, she picks up the phone. She's like, hello, you know, like what, you know, and then she hears his voice and then he's, she's like, okay, yeah, I think she's just a little overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So that was it. I, I didn't, I couldn't talk to him anymore. I couldn't talk to anybody. We went in the room. I remember that her arm was around me. I kind of slipped out from under her arm and just went to bed and just cried. Mm-hmm. And that's all I could do at that point, right? Yeah. <laughs> but what's really crazy is that I have no memory of anything between that night and his arrival. Like it so you don't remember your, out. Oh, yeah, so he arrived at your graduation. No, he arrived. No, he couldn't come because he had just gotten it. He had just Uh, back home. So he couldn't go. So this was like the end of May. He came in July. Hmm. And between that night and his arrival, I remember zero. It's like, I don't remember anything about my graduation. You don't remember like grabbing your thing, switching the tassel? Nothing, nothing. Yeah, you were in, in shock. Yeah, yeah. you're in shock. Like just kind of a PTSD <laughs> kind of thing. Totally. I just didn't remember. I don't remember anything. Yeah. And so the day he came, I remember that. And I remember mm-hmm. cleaning. We had this white Naga hide couch that I hated. I was like, who would buy this with children? <laughs> you know, I hated cleaning that thing. And I remember that day, not really minding. I remember we cooked food, but I don't remember what. I remember he was late, which became a trademark. But of course, this was the first time, so I didn't know. So <laughs> they both had that in common. So <laughs> so I you know, I lay down and fell asleep. Mm. And I woke up to hearing a man's voice in the living room. Mm. So I kind of stumble out, you know, half awake, half asleep. And there's this guy standing there. And I'm all these thoughts are like, wow, I do have a Dick Tracy head like him. You know, my mom used to say that, that you have a head shape like Dick Tracy, just like your dad. (laughs) And, and then I remember, wow, our eyes are exactly alike. And he started coming toward me 
and I wasn't quite ready for a hug yet. Mm-hmm. So I kind of held his elbows and just stared, yeah. you know, all of these thoughts just cascading before I could like really speak. But I was worried immediately. It was the fear of, oh my God, what's she going to do? Because my mother was pretty harsh to like boyfriends and stuff. I mean, she could say some pretty, pretty harsh stuff. So I just didn't know, you know, like how long this was going to last. So all through dinner, I kept waiting, you know, like, oh God, where's she, you know, where's the shoe going to fall? Right. We got through dinner. After dinner, we all sat in the living room for a while and talked, you know, my dad's very charismatic. So it was easy to talk to him and stuff. And then about 11 o'clock, she left us. She's like, well, I'm going to leave you guys to it. And she goes to bed and he and I stayed up and played chess till four o'clock in the morning talking. Oh, wow. So it just felt like, you know, like where, you know, I don't, I was, I'm so much my father's child. Mm -hmm. It was like, it, it erased all of the baffle because I used to really be baffled. I mean, I looked exactly like my mother, right? Like exactly to the point that we've gone places people thought we were twins. We go places. She was a singer. People would think I was she all the time and like come up and say stuff to me. She came to visit me at school one day. A a boy friend of mine picked her up and swung her around because he thought it was me. Like that's how much we looked alike. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So but I was like nothing like her (laughs) personality wise, interests, all that kind of stuff. Right. So it just I felt like what how in the world did this happen? Yeah, I actually had made up a story to cover. And this is the kind of stuff that you do as a child mm-hmm. to deal with things you don't understand and things that are painful. You create, you know, mm-hmm. you add on to this, these layers of things to protect yourself. So I created this story because it was easier for me to believe that I was somebody else's child. Mm-hmm. So my mom's youngest sister and I were very close and we also look a lot alike. So my idea was, okay, I'm really Auntie Marion's daughter but she wasn't married. So they gave me to the sister who was married and now she's raising me. And that explains why, (laughs) you know, it's just like crazy stuff that you do. Right. Right. Because all kids want to feel a connection, you know, Mm -hmm. to their parents. It's just a natural desire. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you're missing that, or it just doesn't match, you know, and particularly if it doesn't match either parent, you're like, you feel like, okay, the doorstep thing is feeling real, real, you know, like somebody yeah. just dropped you off. So emotionally, you did not feel connected to your mother and then you right. didn't have your father at all Correct. in your life. And it sounds like when you met him, it was like this instant, like, oh, there's my other half. Like, yes. this totally makes sense. Like yes. if he had been there, then everything would be fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but since he wasn't, like yes. life was really shitty. Was tough. Was tough. Yeah, it was yeah, tough. Really tough. So I can, I've, I've seen it sort of from the side of having, you know, a mother and I get that too. Sometimes I'll go to conferences and even though it's a father's conference, people will come to me afterwards and say, okay, but what if it's my mom? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that, that the there there are similar answers yeah but kind of how you responded to it may be a little different mm-hmm. just because inherently i think we have different expectations right so like it turns out that my father was the more nurturing parent right 
Sounds and like our, yeah. our tendency is to expect a mother to be nurturing. Yeah. That's so a cultural you, norm. Yes. I mean, expectation, not norm. So, right. It's a cultural expectation. So, so when that doesn't happen, right. Um, that creates conflict, you know, and internal kind of combustion. You know, yeah. I was hanging out looking for Mother's Day cards once with the assistant pastor from my church, and she was really close to her mom. Mm-hmm. And I was expressing how much I hated Mother's Day and cards. And she was like, really? I was like, yeah, because none of this is true. Hallmark lied. You know, mm-hmm. these are not the memories I have. My best card for my mom on Mother's Day would simply be thank you. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of things I'm grateful for. Absolutely. Do I believe she loved me? Absolutely. But when, you know, we ended up sort of in the head to head about it, it was like, but I never felt accepted by her. And, and that the fact that she was not super nurturing combined with that, you know, left a huge void for me trying to grow up. Well, let's talk about that because that's something I've had to come to terms with in, uh, yeah, in my journey is the the ushi gushi isn't there you don't know why because like you say you say thank yeah. you and whenever you need them they show up and like right. they do all the the obligatory things they're very kind yes. sometimes i would even be codependent on her but then there's just like this disconnect that you mm-hmm. couldn't put your finger on mm-hmm. and like i don't know but what i've been able to come to terms with it was the limiting emotional tools that's all i can think mm-hmm. of Right. And some would mm-hmm. label that narcissism, some mm-hmm. would not, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whatever she mm-hmm. had to deal with in her own ancestral yes. trauma. Yes. She just had a limiting supply, the tool supply. Yes. And she did her best. Right. And everyone says that Correct. I hated when people said that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I had to so come to real. terms with how true that was too. Yes. So can you and explore that disconnect? Part of the healing. Yeah. yeah. I, th- mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. I'm very much of the belief that you cannot give what you don't have. Mm. And at the point that we finally had a real conversation about this, not the shouting matches that we've had for years, Mm -hmm. um, but a real conversation. And I kept trying to explain to her that I never felt accepted by her because she kept saying, but I love you. I said, I'm not questioning that. That's different. Being loved and being accepted are different things. Like Mm. I need you to hear me. You yeah. know, on this. And she paused and she said, You know, I don't think I ever felt accepted by my mother. Mm-hmm. Which exactly, which I could see in their dynamic. I was very close to her mother, to my grandmother, but they were like oil and water. I was like, okay. That so that kind of further made me wonder. Am I really this person's child? You know, because <laughs> grandma and I get along so well, you know. And did you get along really well with your your aunt that yes. you pretended was your mother? Yes, we were really close. That actually created a lot of division. Oh, yeah. yeah. As a teenager, that exploded on me several times in very <sighs> unpleasant ways because I didn't realize the level of resentment that my mother had toward her because of the relationship that I had with her. Like, to me, that didn't make sense. It's like, well, you don't like to do the things I like to do. So why are you upset? She does, yeah. you know? And so I would hang out 
especially as a teenager, because we moved back to the same town where she lived. And mm -hmm. so I was always hanging out at her house because we like to do a lot of the same kind of stuff. We liked a lot of the same kind of music. You know, mm. we like jazz, just like my dad. You know, my mother was more into classical music. I liked classical music. I went to operas. I loved that kind of stuff, but I was a jazz aficionado, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. And my mm -hmm. dad played saxophone and, you know, I played instruments as well. We all, oh, so that was actually in high, you know, sometimes you just don't know what's going on and you look back. You're like, oh, yeah. that's what that was. <laughs> so I come from a family of musicians. Mm -hmm. And on my mom's side, as well as the fact that my dad was a saxophonist. So <laughs> when I was little, there was no question you would be doing something musically. So at seven, my mother came to me and said, what do you want to play? And I said, clarinet. Mm -hmm. And for Christmas, she brought me a flute. And this was how things worked. But that's not a clarinet. That's exactly. A totally two different things. Very different. Just for, just for those of you who don't know, there oh, is a sorry. totally different Musical, way to yes. hold the flute. The clarinet, <laughs> yeah. like you hold in the yeah. front, it's like totally different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, completely yeah. different, right? Yes. So I already at seven was accustomed to this sort of forced fun kind of way of living. Yeah. Like you're going to play this and you're going to like it because I said so, you know, kind mm -hmm. of thing. So mm -hmm. of course I played the flute. It wasn't until years later as a teenager that I realized that part of that had to do with the fact that her sister played the clarinet. Oh, she didn't want you to be connected even that more. That would have been her another connection. Yes. And then something she'd be insecure about and jealous yes. about and another disconnection. Yes. yes. Wow. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so the things that this... they do that hurt us that we yes. don't even realize they're hurting us. Yes. And maybe she's not intending to hurt you, but she's what she's intending to do is protect herself. But in Correct. doing so, it's hurting the child. Yes. So yeah. a lot of it ends up, yes, being based on insecurity and self-protection. Yeah, protecting yeah. the unit, whatever mm -hmm. this unit is, as unhealthy maybe as the unit is, they're right. still trying to protect it, right? Yeah. And so in mm -hmm. my world, I have no dad. I have an aunt that you're jealous of. I have a brother who you adore. Mm -hmm. So there's also this very disparate relation you know like I see and everyone else sees like it got validated by other relatives by you know it's like I am not crazy you like adore him and I am just like the extra kid that showed up somehow I you know and so I remember when I was 18 this is I think when it all just you know more than I could bear kind of stuff happened. That summer, I had gone to college. That summer I came home. My brother also came and lived with us again for the first time in God knows when. He was just there for the summer and he brought his daughter. And so we're all living under the roof together. So it's all a lot clearer what's all going on here. At the same time, an old friend brought or sent my mother some old stuff from like when she was married to my dad one of them was a wedding album that was the first time I'd actually ever seen pictures of my parents wedding 
The other though was a scrapbook. It was a very elaborate, gorgeous scrapbook that she had made for my brother when mm -hmm. he was born. Oh. Now, mind you, for years, I would ask my mom to talk to me about what it was like when I was born. She mm -hmm. didn't remember. Most of what I know about what I was born, I actually got from my brother who was eight, who actually mm -hmm. has a pretty vivid memory of kind of, it was fast, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. they, we, they were at a picnic, they rushed to the hospital. I was here in like 45 minutes. He was very excited, you know, Yeah. and, but she couldn't remember stuff. And so when I saw the scrapbook, <laughs> I yeah. was, I was so devastated. I just, I mean, it like confirmed all of my worst fears that they were true, you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God, I really am just chopped liver. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. And yeah, that created like, yeah, mm -hmm. that created a big hole. I mean, I, I, or else it just made the wound like, you know, cavernous. Yeah, so I it mean, took, it like took the rug off the wound. Yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> Just like what in the world? So yeah. that took a lot to grow back. You know, it, it, that, that I was 18. It was about, I was think I was like 34, 35 before my mother and I reconciled. Because mm -hmm. I just, you know, I, I I that couldn't explain that. Right. <laughs> sounds about right. You're like, <laughs> you know? I'm becoming my own person. You don't really yes. care about me. Off you go and screw yeah. you. Kind of like that phase of like, yeah, just right. Have to yeah. figure out how to navigate. So, yeah. Like heal yourself, yeah. figure out who you are. And then you just right. met your father. So you probably dove more into yes. that relationship. Right. Is that right? Yes, for sure. So mm -hmm. that, but that was hard. He lived somewhere else. You know, he lived in a different state. He was also married with two younger, I have two younger brothers, yeah. you know, so there's all that dynamic. Mickey and Ricky. <laughs> no, those are the older ones. Those are the older ones. No. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, he had another. Yeah. Okay. so yeah. So he got married again and he's got, you know, I've got two younger siblings. I meet all the siblings two years later when I'm 19, all of them. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty wild wow. in and of itself, but it was, you know, I could see you know, again, in hindsight, I could see and sort of the deconstruction of it helped me with the reconstruction, right? Yeah. I mean, Being you have to blow to it up break in it order down. to, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I try to help people do. It's like, I get that it hurts to kind of go back through those doors a little bit, but, but because you've just kind of been existing through it, <laughs> you have to kind of go back now and actually analyze it <laughs> to see like, what, what were you really feeling thinking? You know, how did this make you feel? And then as a result, what did you do to deal with those feelings? You know, yeah. What are some of the other things that we do subconsciously to wreck, like to cover up or to the behaviors, the behaviors. Yeah. So, so there's a gamut, there's a gamut from, the hider, you mm -hmm. know, people who literally just kind of like shrink themselves because they feel so vulnerable and don't know who they are and feel like there's no protection for them. So they hide all the time, kind of mm -hmm. in all kinds of circumstances. You've mm -hmm. got the people who are very insecure, 
but have discovered that maybe if they're a lot more ex, you know, extroverted in behavior, then that may protect them. You know, so you've got the people who become funny when they're not necessarily, but it works. So I'll do that. Yeah. Some people escape into other relationships. People escape into food. People escape into drugs and alcohol. People will find something to cope, Mm -hmm. you know, to like try to, you know, just a little bit of salve for a little while to make me feel better about this thing that I don't really know how to fix. Mm -hmm. And particularly while you're living with your parents, you also feel like you can't really get away from it yet. (laughs) You know, So it's this, it's, you know, so even when you think there's like a break, you know, tomorrow we replay this, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so it's like a broken record that you just can't get off the, you know, off the stereo. So Mm -hmm. until you break from it, you know, people are trying to find ways to cope because human beings just don't function well in a state of being hurt, wounded, you know, (laughs) we limp through life or, you know, emotionally, psychologically, you know, and unfortunately, because it also is familiar, we frequently repeat it. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. How do you know that it's not normal? Because the dysfunction is the normal. How do you awaken to this? A lot of times, again, until you run into people like us, a lot of times you don't. don't, It's what you see. You actually, you absolutely think it's normal. You know, I actually had a friend when I was younger, you know, I look back in terms of like calling and my purpose kind of in life. When you can go back, you can actually see these things showing up way earlier than you knew about. Right. So even as a child, I was like consulted by other kids about the crap at their houses. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're like $5 less money. (laughs) sit down have a seat at my my desk you know and like who knew and I you know I I remember Mm. thinking like what well how come these people keep finding me you know but yeah who knew right yeah but but I remember a little girl who had talked about the rude awakening that she had when she got to middle school okay and discovered that most of her friends fathers were not sleeping with them Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't talk about that at all until you start talking about exactly girl stuff with exactly. Girls. And oh my so, gosh. you know, when she, you know, had mm-hmm. girls respond like, uh, no, that is so not cool. Yeah. Now her whole paradigm is like shattered. Yeah. Because this is all she has ever known. Mm-hmm. And it is the norm. Yeah. In her world, right? Yeah, so sad. It is really sad. And so there are so many people out there who are still caught. They're stuck. They're stuck in this cycle. They don't want to be in the cycle, but they have no idea how to get out because we also tend to gravitate toward the familiar. 
So it's, we don't think in the moment, oh yeah, <laughs> about that thing. And I don't like about my dad. I see that in him. So I'm going to avoid this. No, it's like, I know that. And so there's this weird sort of attraction to this thing that is familiar. Yeah. It's like a robotic, like, yes, you plan and you plan. You're like, okay, this is yes. my boundary. And this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to yes. say. And yes. then you get in the moment and all of a sudden you become that robot yes. back into yes. the subconscious role as a child. Yes. And you're like, you're fawning or you're freezing yes. and you're ah, ha, 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 ha. and you're like, yes. afterwards, what you're am like, I doing? What the heck just happened? Just what happened. am I doing? You, yeah, yes. you can't even say, what am I doing in the moment? Like, how do you, right. how do you break that cycle? There's got to be a, uh, an easier way. Uh, well, I think a lot of it is people have to become more self-aware. Mm -hmm. You have to become, and, and a lot of times people, you need help. You need help to like help you dig down and look at your behaviors. Do I see this in myself? So like when I open up the workshop, I start with you. <laughs> You kind of recognizing what's going on in you, with you, patterns of things in your life. You know, do you see these kinds of behaviors? How often would you say you experience this feeling? You know, helping you sort of ground like, oh, wow. And then for a minute, people are like, yeah, I mean, I'm like that. But so what does that have to, I said, okay. So mm -hmm. then when we start talking about these archetypal fathers, then I start linking things and I start saying, okay, often when you have an abusive kind of father, these are behaviors that often come out of you because you've been in this situation and this has molded and shaped your identity. Yeah. You know, if you've had an apathetic father, it may look really different. <laughs> you know, and so helping people kind of connect those dots is a big piece of it because they have these painful but amazing aha moments. Like, oh my God, I never realized, you know, that really I've been traumatized yeah. for the last 47 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it doesn't yeah. just magically go away. It is not something you just grow up and out of. No. No. A, it takes so much subconscious rewriting, like yes. over and over. Over and over again. And even if you subconsciously write, rewrite it when they're not in your sphere, then yes. that's the real test. Then they become like you interact with them. And Correct. each interaction is just a tiny is layer another... of like firming yes. the rewriting of it, right? Yes. And, oh, I, and I think so that's a good point when you were talking about the holidays, you know, mm -hmm. people go home. And yeah. then you're back in that environment. I remember at one point, my mother and, had, and I had such an, a big blow up in the car that I remember running into my grandparents' house and I yelled, I'm like, if I have to deal with this every time I come home, I am not coming back home. I am like done with this, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I might've been like 25-ish, but it was just like, it's, you know, who wants to come home to that? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, on the one hand, I missed my family. But on the other hand, the the repeated trauma was just, I'm like, people, it is just not worth all of that. I'm sorry. 
-hmm. you know, I just can't take but so much of this, you know, it's, it's like years and years and years and years of yeah. this. And I'm, and they're like, what, what are you different. talking about? Of what? <laughs> you're like, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it was very, you know, my grandmother was hilarious. And, and I remember some, one of the sisters coming to the house or something in the aftermath of the fight. And they were asked like, what's going on? Like they could just kind of feel the chill in the air kind of thing. And my grandmother was like, oh, you know, G and K fell out again, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. To her, it was like, whatever, you know, <laughs> do what you got to do, get over it, you know, kind of thing. But, but again, everybody's dealing with what they brought to the mm -hmm. party, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that was one of the things that I noticed, you know, and, and, and the individual responses, people growing up in the same house, right. Who have a completely different experience in it. Yeah. You know, like I said, there were seven siblings with my mom, right. I only got mm -hmm. to know five of them, including my mom to die before I was born. And, but watching them, you know, as an, as a young adult coming home, I would just study this, you know, and be like, mm -hmm. now this is very interesting. They all were raised by the same parents. Right. They all grew up in the same house. And yet each of them has a completely different response to the conflict of being home. They can mm -hmm. last for about two and a half days. Mm -hmm before something would happen. So my aunt that I was really close to, she would be the one to get in her car and leave. Mm. Just like, I'm out. Yeah. Right? <laughs> She's the, my, the flight. She yes, flies. definitely the flight. Then my aunt in the middle, she would stay in the middle of it and just kind of ignore all the madness around her eat and watch football mm. yeah so she just, just be like tune, it all, tune out. it all out yep just whatever i'm not in it and y'all <laughs> do whatever y'all do right yeah and then my mom was the fight mm -hmm. okay very much the fight so you mm -hmm. know she's gonna curse everybody out and insist that she was right and all of that <laughs> <laughs> and then my, her oldest sister, whom she was very close. I was close to her too. Not quite as close as to my youngest, her youngest sister, mm -hmm. but her oldest sister buried everything in alcohol. Mm. But then I found out when I was 18. So talking about baggage and just how stuff carries and father issues, daddy issues. So the grandfather that I knew was not our biological grandfather. I did know that, but I never met the biological grandfather. On your mom's side? On my mom's side. Okay. Right. But what I did not know was the circumstances under which my grandmother and my biological grandfather broke up until I was 18. Okay. So my oldest aunt really having a trouble with alcoholism, people trying to get her help. Mm -hmm. I get brought into the conversation again. I'm trying to understand. I'm only 18. Why are people wanting my opinion? But she asked me, she said, I will do what you tell me to do. That's what she mm -hmm. said to me. So I'm asking like, what in the world is going on? 
So it turns out that when she was 11, her biological father fondled her. My grandmother took him to court. Now this is like back in the day in the South, black people in court, right? Yeah. With a white male judge Mm -hmm. who accused my 11 year old aunt of being the problem. So my grandmother took her seven children Mm -hmm. and left this man. Yeah. My grandfather that I grew up with, who definitely deserves sainthood, raised those seven Mm -hmm. children. (laughs) Got it. My, my, in fact, my young, the youngest daughter, the the aunt I was really close to had no recollection of her biological father because she was four Mm -hmm. when my grandfather married my grandmother. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea that that had happened until I was 18, right? But suddenly this wave of connected dots came across me because she had also married a man who was repeatedly unfaithful to her. I'm thinking that all of the drinking is really around him, but now I'm finding that no, this is now 67 years old worth of pain. Yeah. That is just manifested itself in all these different other kinds of circumstances. Oh my God. So it also, she started talking about how she felt responsible for breaking up her parents. She Mm. was feeling that at 68, she had felt responsible for breaking up her parents and that her her mother was so in love with him. And I was like, well, obviously she was more in love with you since she kept you and got rid of him. But yeah. in the mind of an 11-year-old, yeah. which is the, the she's still living in that experience, right? Yeah. Even though mm-hmm. she's 68, she's still yeah. feeling all of those same feelings that she had. Yeah, I am like, the burdens that we carry. So true. I I read a quote the other day. It says, we're all coming together expecting unconditional love, yes. but we're carrying so many conditions. And then on yes. top of what you just described, yes. baggage and trauma yes. and yes. false narratives from our, our little tiny mindsets. When yes. we're little, yes. yeah, believing that that's true. Yes. So that's why I talk about the fact that it's a process. It's a journey. Yeah, You know, this is. does not happen overnight at all. I, I like to help people get mm-hmm. started on the journey to probe deeper, to understand kind of like these are components of the journey, but yeah. there will be layers. You yeah. know, I went through layers. I mean, at the beginning, I felt really great, you know, in this newfound relationship with my dad, mm-hmm. but there was unresolved anger and resentment toward my mother that eventually I needed to resolve. Mm-hmm. You know, I was mad at God. I was mad at my mom. I was mad for not being able to be raised with my dad. Yeah. And it took, it was years before that came, that part came to the surface. Yeah. You know, because it's but, not socially appropriate to be angry about things. Well, but that's it's true. So <laughs> crucial. <laughs> so <heal>. crucial. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so it took to get to a place of real wholeness. 
you know, so that I can remember these things and not feel what I felt then. Yeah. Because, I mean, that took years. That took years to get to that place. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I, because I'm really empathetic, right? I feel stuff even from movies, like all the time, right? And I'm always so, crying. My daughter's always, always crying, looking at right? me like, you're crying? Yep. Okay. She's crying. Yeah. She's, she's her normal self. Again. Right. You <laughs> Again. know? And so, so that was another thing. My mother, my crying frustrated her mm. even when I was a kid. Right. So what do you do with that when you're a crier? Right. <laughs> you know, you shove it down, you know, you try. I didn't, yeah. I wasn't good at that, you know? And so that was <laughs> another sort of thing, but there were these movies that I would watch that would depict all of what I was feeling. Right. Mm-hmm. So like Ordinary People, I think that was one of the names of them, um, was this movie about a mother who was devoted to one son and kind of not so much the other. And when the first, the devoted son died, you know, her world was gone, Mm -hmm. even though there was a son left. Mm -hmm. And all of the things that he expressed is what I used to feel. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I would watch this movie and I would cry every time. I mean, I would watch it and I would cry. I would watch it and I would cry. And it would frustrate her because she'd know I'd seen it and be like, haven't you seen this before? Uh Uh-huh. You know, (laughs) and I, of course I couldn't tell her because this is what I feel in our relationship, you know, kind of thing. So I watch it and cry, watch it and cry. Mm -hmm. And then I remember the first time I saw the Joy Luck Club and many of the subsequent times I saw it, (laughs) you know, that was all about mother and daughter relationships. Right. And so it was really encapsulated in a couple of those relationships. And again, here I am, I'm crying because I'm feeling, I, it's like, I felt that for so many years, you know, I'm feeling yeah. right along with you in this movie, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's what I want to tell people though, is that you don't have to be there forever. And yeah. I'm so excited now that I can watch the Joy Luck Club and not cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like you I know? did it. I I it. <laughs> you know, it's like, I've gotten to a place where those particular things yeah. don't, I remember them, but they don't cause me to relive those emotions all over again, all the time. And, and then that gives you room to learn more, to discover more things that probably would have devastated you had you known but before earlier, but now that you can understand and later, it still paints a better picture. So you can give grace to these people that hurt you. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah. Another movie reference when I watched October baby, I think for the first time, and she was talking about the stuff that she felt about not feeling wanted and that kind of stuff. And she'd been writing this stuff in her journal and she didn't understand why. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when they came up with this whole thing about, you know, that she was, you know, she survived an abortion. It was like, interesting. I don't think that my mother tried to abort me, but what I ended up seeing was that because of what was going on with her and my dad, at that moment, she didn't really want me. Yeah. I was a honeymoon baby. She left my dad six months afterwards and was six months pregnant. Oh. Yeah. And um, 
And so there was so much trauma around the relationship with my dad, which also explained why she didn't remember much about my dad. I was going to say, that's why she didn't remember. She yeah. going through trauma. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but I don't think I could have received that revelation yeah. way back when. <laughs> you know not. what I'm saying? Because you're, like, you're in pain and in your mind yeah. is trying to wrap your head around like, well, but this is all about me, right? It's, right. It's, well, in the beginning phases, we yeah. can't see that, especially with the multi-generations. Yeah. We can't see the pain that they're going through. Correct. I remember one time sitting down in a conversation and my sister was trying to help and she was like trying to explain to me all the trauma that she went through. And I was sitting there, I was maybe, uh, I don't know, 29, 30. And I was like, I hear that but I guess my subconscious didn't care. I was like, but you uh, still don't like hear what I need, right? I, I kept going through like, uh-huh. well, what about me? <laughs> and even right. still so, my subconscious is like, well, what about me? But now it's this this place where I, I accept uh-huh. the reality. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to try and force what I want in my mm-hmm. reality to happen because mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. It's, just, it's like trying to force, you know, you can lead a water to the yeah. river but you can't yeah. force the horse yeah. Yeah. to drink the water yeah yeah so it's yeah. been a long it's a long journey like you said it's it long- is it's a journey it's a journey and i and i feel like it's important for people to get on it <laughs> for their own sake you know i i i'm a firm believer that you can't really be all your reach your full potential right if you're so broken and so mm-hmm. wounded Right. Yeah. So it's more about I want you to reach your full potential. I want this obstacle, this thing that's hanging you up, this thing that's in the way, this thing that's creating an extra burden in your life to be lifted so that you can really blossom and you can really be, you know, who you need to yeah. be. And you do that through your workshop. Yes. You have a, yes. a workshop. Yeah. Tell us about so that. Workshop. <clears throat> so it's also called Hungry for Wholeness. And, and I, so I take people through, we start out by recognizing, recognizing how, how, just kind of how you are, your Mm -hmm. tendencies, your leanings. Like you're unearthing the subconscious patterns? Well, no, kind of more like behaviorally. Okay. Behaviorally and emotionally kind of, do you feel sad a lot? You know, do you, are you angry often? You know, do you get angry easily? Mm. You know, do you, or have you had a tendency to be very promiscuous? You know, just a whole, like I have this list of like 16 kind of behaviors and feelings that Mm -hmm. I go through to kind of help people first kind of look at what are some of the things that are going on that may not be healthy in your life being right yeah then i take them through recognizing the type of father they may have had Mm. and so we go through these five archetypes the absent father the apathetic father the authoritarian father the abusive father and the accusing father and you might have multiples, you know, your father might have been across multiple things, but, but yeah. we talk about them, talk about what that sounded like, what that looked like, what that felt like. I have people write stuff down, you know, write, you know, experiences down during it to kind of 
you know, bring it all up. <laughs> I yeah. tell people bring tissue, you'll need it, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll cry through it together, you know, kind of thing. And what's um, interesting about the types of fathers is that it cross references to, let's say you don't have an abusive father. You think your father was great, but he could have been the enabler in the less correct. emotional partner yes. who they're with. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so in that regard, so I had a friend once who was physically abused. She was actually a, an adopted child, like started mm -hmm. as a foster child who was adopted and very much physically abused by the mother. Mm -hmm. But the dad was like at home. And I'm talking about like major, like she still has burns on her legs oh, from nice. where her mother put her in scalding water, you know, burns on her body from whether her, her mother would, you know, close the curtains and stick her with. And the dad was there like watching TV. Just totally checked out. Totally checked out. So yeah, yeah. that, uh, you know, absence doesn't necessarily always mean physically absent. Yeah, you know, mentally, um, emotionally, might be mentally, yeah. emotionally absent mm -hmm. and, and very much enabling, yeah. you know, in an, in an otherwise abusive scenario. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So helping them sort of identify and, and talking about what it sounds, because some, some of those terms, people don't want to ascribe, right. Mm -hmm. To their father or father figure. Right. Yeah. So they'll deny, they'll be in denial maybe. And so as we kind of talk about scenarios, you know, what that might sound like, what are the kinds of things this person might say, what are the kinds of things this person might do, they can identify with those things mm -hmm. and that'll help them sort of get to that point. So then we kind of have to deal with the emotions around all of that, you know, Got it. anger, resentment, hurt you know, all of that. So we, that's kind of going into the second step where it's release. <laughs> mm. We go through several exercises around forgiveness mm. and releasing people, explaining that forgiveness is much more a hindrance to you than to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. They will still be taken care of, but you yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, really walking people through that to help them find the language, you know, even if, and I say, you may not feel it today, that's okay. Go ahead and speak it, write it anyway. <laughs> Again, it's a process. Your emotions will be all over the place through this. So we're not going to let that guide us today, you know? <laughs> This is a time for exposure and and to to really bring light to a very dark place that has been keeping you in darkness for years, mm -hmm. you know. And so I want to shine light on it so that we can eradicate it. That's you know you can't get rid of it if you're cloaking it and holding on to it. And sometimes you're holding on to it because it's all you know and it's what's familiar. And I get that. You yeah. know, but when people can kind of look, you know, I talk to women a lot who, you know, finally are like, so this is why I have picked six horrible guys in a row, you know, kind of thing. Cause they're like, what in the world? Why do I keep finding this? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's what's familiar. It's for what's familiar. And, and intellectually you're thinking, 
but I don't even like that. I said, I know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we do it anyway, <laughs> you know, clearly, you know, yeah. and again, and yeah. again. And so a lot of it has to be a mind renewal thing mm-hmm. where when we start talking about identity and, and how your identity <laughs> has to be changed. Like the way you see yourself is through the lens often of this person and that's not who you really are Mm -hmm. and so we start delving into that you know who are you really you know wow that's powerful and talking about you know character traits and making people look at stuff you know that you know what are you good at and what do you do well and what can you be celebrated for and what when are you courageous you know all of that kind of stuff to kind of help bring that to the surface and then like I said the receiving you know then you have to be be able to receive love you know I I understand you know that a lot of times because of people's experiences with their father when they have been bad they tend to have a very negative connotation of a father a a heavenly father a god figure as a father and i get it (laughs) yeah and so i try to help people understand that what you're doing though is you're ascribing these characteristics (laughs) to somebody who's not like that (laughs) and and just kind of helping people and and i i take people through scripture to talk about love and look at what love really means what love really does this is how you can know you're being loved. You know, mm-hmm. you're being loved when people are not being jealous of you. You're being loved when people are not accusing you. You're being loved when people are being patient and kind with you, you know, to even know what love looks like because yeah. we end up having a really warped view based on these prior experiences, right? And we think, mm-hmm. you know, this person loves us because that's what that has looked like. They said they love loved that. us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's powerful work. That's powerful work. That's amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation and relating to us and sharing with us your wisdom and your light. Thank Where you. can everyone uh, connect with you? So, my website's probably my best spot. It's at www.wellfedresources.com. And the book, Hunger for Wholeness, is available there as well as on Amazon. And then you can register for workshops as well through my website. I do small group workshops, no more than 12 at a time. I've done larger things, but I just think it works better. Small groups. Safer that way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Gigi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This was delightful. Very nice to meet you. Yes. Such a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to the end of this podcast episode and being an empath member here in the community. Don't forget to grab your free 10-day Overcome Pain from Narcissistic Abuse audio series. The link is in the show notes. Upon this, you will become a member of the Empath Newsletter community. Please share this episode with a friend. Follow my blog at ravenscott.show and leave a comment in a blog post. I love hearing from you. Be sure to listen to the Empath and Narcissist Audible book 
or you can grab your paperback on Amazon. It is a profound exploration of my specific journey and healing, providing you with tools for healing as well. And you can buy my new book now, the follow-up Human Design Workbook, containing all the tools for healing and an in-depth understanding of human design, Empath's Guide to Rising Strong, in paperback on Amazon. And your review on the book at this time is imperative for its success. Please leave a review. If you are on the newsletter list, look out in your inbox for presents and surprises of my gratitude for your help. The link is in the show notes.